The biggest advantage of being deaf while traveling is that so many people in foreign countries are incredible at gesture, especially like Southeast Asia. When I was there, it was incredibly easy to be able to point, you know, and gesture for a bus with wheels and moves. Honestly, it never failed. And it got me around really, really well. I do meet a lot of hearing backpackers and they're like, you're so brave for traveling, you know, alone and you're deaf. And I'm like, it's actually easier than a lot of hearing people find it. Hello, everybody. My name is Kelly Edwards, and you're listening to Let's Go Together. My guest today is an international model, actor, producer, and activist. Nal DeMarco is a New York City native who gained recognition as the first deaf contestant on Cycle 22 of America's Next Top Model, which he also won. He's a huge advocate for the deaf community and is currently executive producer of the hit Netflix series, Deaf You, which takes us on campus at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., the nation's only liberal arts university for the deaf. I'm a huge fan of Niall and the show, so I couldn't wait to talk to him about his experiences traveling the world. Just a note, Niall uses sign language, so we conducted this interview with the help of his interpreter, Grayson. So that's whose voice you'll be hearing. Thank you so much, Niall, for being here, first and foremost. I am so excited to speak to you today. You are a man of many talents. You won Dancing with the Stars. You were a fan favorite on America's Next Top Model. You're the executive producer of Deaf You on Netflix. I mean, wow. When do you first remember feeling pride at the thought of being deaf? When was the first time I ever felt proud of being deaf? Wow. I'd, I'd have to say since my first memory, to be honest, since I was a baby. My entire family is deaf. So growing up in an all-deaf family, I went to a deaf school since I was a little kid. So my identity was very much solidified my whole life. So I guess I've always been proud. Awesome. What do you think is the biggest misconception about deaf people? I'd say probably in general, hearing people don't really realize that a deaf culture exists to begin with. Oftentimes they assume that deaf people are alone and sort of siloed throughout the United States or even around the world. But globally, we have deaf schools, we have a university, we have a very large community that's sort of spread out all over the world. I'd I'd say that's probably the biggest. So let's talk about traveling. What is your earliest memory of traveling? And did your family travel a lot when you were younger? Yeah, I might have been seven, somewhere in there. And my family had rented an RV, and we were adventuring almost the entire West Coast. It it was really great. We had a chance to see so many national parks that really, you know, made a heavy impact on me. Clearly, as I I now love to travel, I'd say that's probably the earliest I've, I've traveled with my whole family, my two brothers, my parents, my grandparents as well, and two dogs. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, a little Rottweiler. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about a crazy RV full of people. That's what I was going to say. Talk about the entire family plus some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I wouldn't recommend it now, right? Looking back at it. I mean, the RV honestly wasn't that big. I think it might have been maybe a 30-footer, you know, maybe 27 somewhere in there. So with everyone in one family, you know, being in that RV, it was a little wild. My parents actually have a huge RV and I'm an only child. So it would just be the three of us. And at times it can get snug. So I can only imagine you, your dogs, your grandparents, your siblings, your parents. (laughs) Right. And as a child, everything looks so big. Right. But as an adult, you're like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, big time. Big time. Looking back, I'm like, wow. And I just, I honestly wonder how we did it. But 
you know, it'll be an unsolved mystery, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. When you took that road trip in the RV as a child, when you toured like the West Coast, what was one of your favorite places that you stopped at that you can remember to this day? Yellowstone was really, really, really beautiful. Old Faithful, yeah, having a chance to see the the geyser, of course, the buffalo, seeing them, you know, moving through the plains is it's really incredible. And I really felt like I wasn't in the U.S. anymore. I I really felt like I was somewhere else in just a different a different place. It was I, such a vivid memory still to this day. There's the bridge there with all of the hot springs and the hot baths, essentially, that you drive through. I mean, of course, I wanted to swim in them so bad, but you can't. Do you find that you connect with nature a lot? I mean, I would say not as much as I want to. You know, I grew up in a city... Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really was always about making the effort to get out there. And yeah. I just, I don't make the effort as much as I should. Now I'm based on the West Coast. Just mm-hmm. two or three weeks ago, I actually drove out to Moab, Utah, which was really fantastic. Had a chance to do some camping for the weekend and yes. just take four days to really enjoy it. And it's times like that that I, I really appreciate. The West Coast, I think, is a little more special in that in that way. I could say that I agree. I live in Los Angeles and I just came back from Utah two days ago. Uh, And so I understand the beauty of it. I was out there camping and glamping as well. But I will say (laughs) what I find so beautiful (laughs) about nature is early in the morning when the silence is there, it's just you and nature and just that moment of like clarity without much background noise happening. Mm. That's when I can find like the most peace of my day. Yeah, definitely. I'm very much a morning person. So, you know, I love waking up, you know, typically between five and six. And, you know, obviously I can't hear anything, but I can really experience the visual silence, right? The visual quiet that we see. I just, ugh, I love that part. Love that part. That's amazing. What is the best thing about traveling in your opinion? You know, often in my travels, I'm alone. You know, Moab, I, I drove out to Utah by myself. And to be honest, I think that's one of the best things is a little bit of solitude, having your own time. You know, your schedule is your own, really being able to plan uh, what you want to be doing. I had two goals. One, I wanted to road bike through one of the very well-known loops called the La Salle Loop. It's uh, about 62 miles altogether with over a 5,000-foot elevation climb. And it's considered one of the uh, toughest tracks out there. So I already had a a very serious goal that I wanted to hit with that. I wanted to have a chance to ride through the red formations and have a chance to see the rock. And the next day, I mountain biked through um, some of their really, really incredible enchilada mountains there. It's nice to do things like that when you're alone. As a group, I think, you know, I probably would have spent more time socializing than really commuting with nature and meeting my goals. So I'd say being alone is probably the best part. I have to say I agree. I travel solo a lot and I definitely learn about who I am and how to connect with a place, a destination, a town or people when I have to do it on my own. When you said you traveled alone and you went camping and biking by yourself, as a hearing person, I still have safety precautions I have to pay attention to. And I can literally hear and see things coming. For you, Niall, how do you navigate without being able to hear, especially in nature when it's really the wild and a lot of things that we don't have control over. Yeah. um, 
I haven't really gotten to uh, a point yet where I've, you know, camped in the middle of nowhere where bears could come and, and take me in the night. Typically, I'm camping at either a designated spot, a specific campsite, or a dispersed campsite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously they still have people, you know, kind of roaming around who are who are close enough that I, I do feel safe. But, you know, in the future to go that far out in nature, I think I would have to do a little bit more research myself. I do have a deaf friend of mine actually who went to Mammoth and went camping on the mountain where bears could have come and they slept through the night just fine in this campsite. And I was like... You know, hearing people, you know, are, are like screaming if they see the beers, but we obviously, you know, can't hear that. So I, to be honest with you, I don't even know how I would approach the situation. I would need a little bit more research. Well, if you want to talk about that, I am the off-grid girl, which is probably why my mind went straight to the middle of nowhere asking you, how do you deal with that? I forget that most people start at campsites and well-known camp spots. I I think I'm Indiana Jones in Bear Grylls, so I'm like, just drop me in the middle of anywhere. So, got it. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Niall has run into some issues with accessibility as a deaf traveler. We'll hear more about that after a quick break. We're back. If you're just joining us, my guest today is model, actor, producer, and activist, Niall DeMarco. Are there any things that frustrate you, accessibility-wise, about traveling as a deaf person that you would change? I'd say a lot of the natural parks. Um, That stands out the most. You know, for their educational materials, they never have captions on TVs or, you know, the films once you actually have an opportunity to pop into, like, their shopping center, right? And... You want to you want to learn more about the national parks and what's available there, but oftentimes captions aren't um, put on screen. So I'd say that's probably one of the biggest things. But other than that, I'm I'm so thankful for technology and having an iPhone today because it's made such an incredible difference. You know, remember when when I was a kid, I remember moving from Maryland to Texas, and you know, we were literally packed into a into a large van. We had two vans that we were that we were following, one with my dad and and one with my mom in the back who I was with, and we didn't have phones. So we couldn't call each other when my dad had taken a turn and my mom missed it. That was 1997, I believe. So, you know, instead they had to write papers, right, once they caught up to each other on the on the highway, right, in order to find the other person. And we ended up actually having to get in touch with the police at one point about an 18-wheeler that, you know, had an issue. And we had to, we had to write a paper signed on the side of the highway. Today we can just text. Wow. You know American Sign Language, or ASL. Are you fluent in any other sign language? I'm not fluent in any other sign languages, but I do have a base knowledge of Swedish and Italian, which is helpful. But I'm unfortunately not fluent enough to really carry a a comfortable conversation yet. So sign language uh, comes from culture. So even the United States and the United Kingdom, for example, of course, we both speak versions of English, but their sign language is completely different because it really emulates from culture. It's part of the reason why we have borrowed so many signs from France back in the 1700s. Even today, you know, if you were to meet a meet a French person, their sign is completely different because it really is about evolving with the culture. And we've borrowed some of their signs, but they've really become localized now to us here in the United States. And of course, indigenous signs, we have quite a few. Yeah, so it really follows the culture of the of the area and the region. What has it been like to connect with other 
deaf people in different cultures while you travel? You know, growing up, I had always, you know, traveled out, outside of the country and I always ensured to carve time out of my day to visit deaf schools and to visit the local deaf community. I was really curious what they lived like and, you know, what their culture and their norms and mores might be like. It was never, you know, a hard time interacting with other people because of the language barrier. We have gesture, of course, which is incredibly helpful. And we're used to using our hands to communicate. But one of the interesting things that I learned is that the deaf experience is very universal around the world, except for the fact that we have major accessibility inequity around the world. The experience having access to language and schooling and education is very different everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Are there any examples of any signs that you can show me that are different between U.S. and British, for example, since sure. the, the language is... So- Comparing a sign language from here to another country, yeah. Uh, The sign for delicious, for example. This is our sign for delicious here in the U.S. It comes right off your lips. Yep, yep, it looks like this. Almost as though you were going to snap your middle finger and your thumb, yep. And it just slides right down, delicious, yep. Yes, (laughs) yeah, delicious. While in Italy, this is delicious. Ah. It's just a finger turning on your cheek. So you can see that the two signs are are quite different. Mm Mm-hmm. But in the same region. Right. Similar region or rest, for example. We have the sign rest here in America. We sign rest. Here, just to give you a visual, Niall is crossing his arms over his chest. Rest or relax. While in Italy, they sign this to rest or relax. Just a three coming down like a backpack strap. Yep. Oh. Rest. Rest for U.S. And rest for Italian. Wow. For Italian. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those because, listen, I'm worried about the food, if it's good, and I'm worried about when I can sleep. (laughs) Right. Yep. Delicious. Yep. Delicious and rest. That's awesome. Is there any night in particular in a country that you look back while traveling that makes you feel like you're lucky to have experienced it? There have been so many, so many countries and so many great experiences. I would say when I was in Cuba, let's see, I went to Cuba in 2011, I believe, and the embargo uh, still had not been lifted, so it was very hard to get there. But I was there for almost three weeks. I rented a car. I had an opportunity to see the entire island. And really, people don't realize that Cuba east to west is very large. It's a 22-hour drive altogether. Wow. It's a very large island. Uh, you know, I had the time, and I just, oh, gosh, it was like getting into a time machine and going back to the 50s when the embargo was essentially placed and, and seeing a world that had remained so beautiful. The people are so incredible. The food is so beyond. And it just feels like a much happier way of life in general. And it was so much more than I had ever expected. Wow, that is so beautiful. And you described it so well, especially the fact that it's at a standstill, but the beauty is still captured. Right, right. It's incredible. I was in um, one town there called Remedios. It was December 24th. And it's very well known for um, its celebration the day before Christmas. It's phenomenal. They have, you know, illegal fireworks and all sorts of things. And last minute, I was, you know, expecting to find a, a fairly easy place to, to stay. Now, Cuba doesn't have any hostels. I mean, or at least in 2011, they didn't have any hostels. Airbnb wasn't really a thing yet. Couch surfing wasn't really out. And so... It really was a matter of booking, you know, like a a casa to stay at or somebody's home and you had to be approved by the Cuban government ahead of time through their system back then. 
So if you weren't approved by the Cuban government, then you, you know, or if the host wasn't approved by the Cuban government and they found out that you were staying there, you could end up in jail. So it would have really screwed them. So I, you know, had looked, all of the casas were out. There was no place for me to go, no place to stay. But a stranger literally offered me a place to stay at their house. And I was like, that's illegal. I don't want you to get in trouble. And they were like, no, 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 you absolutely have to. They were very insistent. They had these older parents who were just wonderful, just the sweetest sweetest people you know they they cooked us a really nice meal and i was with them for the weekend and the experience was just so warm and and wonderful but to realize that they didn't even have access to computers or you know they had to pay for internet at the at the one cyber cafe or the wi-fi cafe in town that was really expensive it also makes me wonder when you travel on your own how do you typically communicate with people when they first come up to you and they don't necessarily know that you're deaf, how do you initially start that conversation and how do you communicate with a hearing person? Sure. The biggest advantage of being deaf while traveling is that so many people in foreign countries are incredible at gesture. They're very skilled at gesturing, right? Especially like Southeast Asia. When I was there, it was incredibly easy to be able to point, you know, and gesture for a bus with wheels. It moves. Honestly, it never failed. And it got me around really, really well. Especially with, you know, what type of food, being able to create the, the shape of it with your hands, it's, it, it never fails. It's great. In contrast, you come to the United States and you try to gesture with an American and they're like, they're just, they're like stunned. They have no idea. But, you know, they're like, what's your problem, man? Like, and, and it's so simple, you know, definitely in traveling abroad. So I do meet a lot of hearing backpackers or a lot of locals in other countries who always say the same thing. They're like, you're so brave for traveling, you know, alone and you're deaf. And how do you communicate? And I'm like, it's actually easier than a lot of hearing people find it. I was just going to say that. I'm like, when I think about the times that I've traveled to Asia and like literally all of the writing is in, you know, writing that I can't read. And so I've had moments where I'm like, oh boy, how am I going to figure this out? I will say the Thai people are really, really amazing at, from my experiences, they speak through gestures and through smiles, um, through their talking. And so that's such a good point that I never thought about it. But I am so not surprised how here in America, people are like, huh, what, when, and how? And then you go around the world and it's so much easier for you. So my last question is, what is next on your travel bucket list? Ooh, so many places. But first is COVID leaving. That'd be great. I really, really want to go to Morocco. I've wanted to go to Morocco for quite some time. I, you know, I'd, I'd love to. And there are quite a few other places in the in the region that are great. Um, there's also Banff, which is amazing. Yes. I would love to see that. I definitely want to drive up there, have an opportunity to camp, uh, do some biking. Yeah, I would say those are probably the two biggest and the closest on my on my list. But yeah, hopefully we're not all in quarantine this time next year. Well, I've been to Morocco. It is very beautiful. And I love nature. So that road trip to Banff will be incredible. I'm sure the Instagram pictures don't do it justice. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, they never do it justice, honestly. They never do nature justice. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And I'd love to teach you the sign for let's go. Yes, please. Let's go together. Let's. It's let's right here. Let's. Let's go together. Let's. Yep. 
go together. Let's go together. Let's go together. Yep. Perfect. Beautiful job. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. <laughs> That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. And if you want to learn how to sign Let's Go Together in ASL, check out our website. We've got a video of Niall up there. You can follow Niall at Niall DeMarco on Instagram and Twitter. That's N-Y-L-E-D-I-M-A-R-C-O. And check out his series, Dev U. It's out on Netflix now. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Jamila Zara-Williams, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Susie Armitage. And thank you to our digital executive editor, Deanne Kazursky at Travel and Leisure. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag, and you can find me at Kelly Set Go, and that's Kelly with three E's.